Welcome to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast, the premier provider of leadership consulting, culture shaping, and senior level executive search services. Every day, we're privileged to talk with fascinating people who are shaping the future through their leadership and vision. Each episode, you'll hear a different perspective from thought leaders and innovators. Thanks for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. Hello, I'm Harry O'Neill, HR and Talent Management Director, APAC, in the Hong Kong office of Hydric and Struggles, and I'm a partner in the financial services practice. In today's podcast, I'm speaking to Robert Ronneberger, who's Vice President and Lead Strategist for Multi-Asset Strategies at BlackRock here in Hong Kong. His decision to join BlackRock was in part driven by the firm's open support and contribution to the LGBT community. Robert, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. So can I start off, Robert, can you tell me briefly a little more about why you joined BlackRock, and in particular, the importance of the company's take on LGBTQ as part of that decision? Yeah, sure. So I joined BlackRock because the company gives me a great platform where I can leverage my skill sets. I've spent the last 12 years in the region and part of my studies, as well as my first job, uh, living in different countries uh, where I've built also my Mandarin capabilities. Now, BlackRock and BlackRock's footprint in the APEC region allows me to really leverage this sort of skill set. So that's one of the reasons. Um, the other one, of course, is because when I was looking for new opportunities, I was looking for companies that have inclusive environment for their employees. That's terrific. So BlackRock, in essence, is is a role model in the industry. So, you know, what challenges do companies face when wanting to be role models and, and front runners in promoting social change, especially when it comes to policies favoring rights of the LGBTQ community, and in particular in this region? Obviously, part of BlackRock's DNA is diversity. It's what the firm, what's the firm stands for. Now, as part of uh, my past four years in BlackRock, I also co-founded the Alton Allies Network, which is the LGBT network for BlackRock here in the region. And as part of that, uh, I was I was very involved in driving changes internally, which eventually made me become the co-chair of the LGBT Interbank Forum here in Hong Kong. Again, and coming from a perspective from the LGBT Interbank Forum is for a company to want to become a role model or a trailblazer to bring social change to the wider community, it actually has to overcome a lot of internal hurdles. Now, to come back to your point about wanting to be a front runner, I think a lot of firms haven't reached that point to want to bring change to the wider community. And why is that? Probably because it's either regional or local management might be in disagreement, right? Or maybe internally, when it comes to building inclusive environments for, the, um, for their own employees, they probably haven't reached the point uh, where they want to reach out and bring that change to you know, the industry or the, the community itself. Now, that's one of the problems. It's just what firm feels to be in a position to bring that social change outside their four walls. The, f- the second thing is, once you've reached that point as a company, right, you have a decent environment that, you know, values diversity and is inclusive. The other problem then is, now, let's look at the stakeholders. And taking BlackRock as an example, our key stakeholders are predominantly our clients. And these clients are governments, they are sovereign wealth funds, they're large institutional clients, whether local, regional or global. Now, and the problem here is usually that bringing change beyond the four walls that might be seen as a little bit controversial, which is usually the case in the context of LGBT, companies don't want to take that step. 
That's a, a great point. And it's also important to talk about the success that that group had, that the Interbank Forum, which as I understand is made up of a group of financial institutions operating here in Hong Kong. Having that success goes to show that big companies, when they band together and hunt in a pack, as it were, can achieve social change. And BlackRock clearly is part of that. Yeah, that's correct. And I think more and more, if you look at you know, the world that we're operating in, whether it's the APEC region or globally, I think these global multinational corporations more and more have the responsibility to bring such change to the wider community. And that's another thing uh, that I really appreciate of BlackRock and our global leadership, including our CEO, Larry Fink. Um, he made clear at the beginning of this year to, in his letter to the CEOs uh, that having responsibly managed companies is really important. And obviously diversity is a really important part of that. So if you think of the millennials, particularly those that are currently studying, there was a lot of research done in the context of what are millennials looking for in their employers. And whether the statistics are from Hong Kong, the United Kingdom, or the US is that across the board, 75% of uh, these millennials say they want to work in companies that first of all, cherish diversity and are inclusive. And that is completely irrespective of whether they're male or female or their gender identity or their sexual orientation. So we move on to your own personal journey. How have you personally dealt with any discrimination that you've encountered either in the workplace or outside the workplace? Well, luckily, uh, and to my knowledge, I was never subject of any direct discrimination and I think I have to give credits to my parents here who didn't really care about that particular issue. Um, they were very open about my sexual orientation. So I think having an environment and growing up in a family like this gives you a lot of self-confidence. However, starting my first job in Taiwan, I went back into the closet. Um, but we always talk about self-concealing. So if you think of coming to the office on Monday morning and having to change your story of what you've done over the weekend, that was uh, not necessarily in the Mandarin environment because the language is, in a spoken way, gender neutral. So I think that helped me in a sense. There was no need to come out because I could share my stories without giving that information away. That was not because the company was not inclusive. However, coming back to the point of why I've chosen BlackRock over other companies is that they are more open and more uh, inclusive when it comes to LGBT. And when I've joined BlackRock, and literally within that first week uh, here in the office in Hong Kong, I just thought it's now time for me to kind of give back. And BlackRock was very supportive when you came forward with this idea. BlackRock was extremely supportive to the extent that we have had networks in the Americas and EMEA for quite some time. Um, and I think given the experience from working at BlackRock, the corporate culture and part of the DNA of BlackRock is being inclusive. We call it Blonde BlackRock, and I think it's really the case here. Now, when I made the decision to start this network, along with like-minded colleagues in the region, um, I reached out to our chairman, Ryan Stork, who was extremely supportive. He basically said, whatever you need, I'll give it to you. Um, you make sure that we get this off the ground. And he was surprised that we didn't have that at this particular point in the Hong Kong office and in a wider region. Now. I still took a strategic approach to this. So I wanted to have senior buy-in at first, starting with our chairman, Ryan Stork, but then also with all the leading MDs that have regional responsibilities, I brought them on as MD allies, supporting 
the network even before we launch it officially, just to make sure that from a top-down perspective, people are bought into this idea. And whether it's the business case that we talked about or whether it's just the right thing to do. The next step then was um, launching the network. Given that we are known as the invisible minority, what impact do you think that having a network like the Out and Allies Network has on the LGBT community, particularly those who are still in the closet and perhaps a lot more tentative about disclosing their uh, sexual orientation to colleagues? That's, that's a very good question, particularly because the invisibility of the LGBTQ community is a problem. It's, it's a blessing, but also a curse. A blessing to the extent that, you know, if you look at someone, you don't necessarily say, see that he or she is homosexual. In terms of the curse, it's more about unknowingly discriminating against these groups. And here again, it comes back to the point of having a senior buy-in, because a lot of people are supportive and inclusive. The problem is if, if you don't speak it out loud or if you make it visible, your team, the people that report into you, don't know that you are a very open-minded person and you value and cherish diversity. Now, what we've done here within BlackRock is having people openly speak about events. And that's part of what we required our MD allies to do is, you know, announce these events forward our invitations of some of the activities that we've hosted with a personal pledge of why this is important to you. And you'd be surprised that we have managers in very senior roles that have LGBT members in their family. So again, the DNA is there. You want to create an environment where people feel they can be themselves. And we don't ask them to come out. But if I, as you know, a junior or like, like mid-level you know, management sort of employee, and I see that my male white manager is supportive of this, I feel a lot better. I don't have to come out, but it's just the feeling of, you know, I belong here. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, you have a, a situation where people are not being unconsciously discriminated against. An unconscious bias is something that everybody is b becoming increasingly aware of. And in relation to the LGBTQ community, it's something that can be addressed if you have a network which is spreading a positive message about the community and the reason why that part of diversity is important. Just to maybe give you an example of um, how we went about bringing that change and driving inclusion within the APEC region, it's through events. And one particular example that was extremely successful in creating that relevance was a parent sharing session that we've hosted. And we invited parents of LGBT children into the office to talk to our audience. And our audience was mostly parents or parents at some point in the future time. And the parents of these LGBT children, they talked about their own journey, having their own children coming out to them, which at the beginning was probably a surprise or even a shock, particularly in, uh, in the APEC region. But then you can see these parents are sitting in front of a corporate audience like BlackRock, talking about their experience from like being shocked to completely the other way around of driving inclusion. How can you build environments that your children, no matter what age they are, you know, can grow up? I think um, the question is here, we want every employee in our firm for that particular event ask themselves the question, how would they react if their children, their daughter or son, was coming out to them? Moving on, um, how can multinational companies like BlackRock have one inclusive policy worldwide? Or given the very different attitudes towards LGBTQ issues around the world, do you have to have individual policies? 
Yeah, just referring to my experience at the Interbank, um, you know, different firms take very different approaches to this. Some of them have very tailored policies that are respective to the Hong Kong market. The way we look at it, BlackRock is that we have a policy in place that's global. And this policy, whether it's anti-discrimination policy, you know, sorts to protect employees in general, but also the minorities and the LGBT community within the firm. Now, this policy is in place in all uh, in all the countries that we do business. But I think the most important question is having a policy on paper is one thing, but actually enforcing it is another thing. And we don't ask people to come out. But what's important here again is that managers within these businesses openly voice out their support for diversity and particularly for LGBT because it's invisible. It's making your support visible. Because if you're working as an employee, if you come to work and you feel comfortable, that's really important. And again, it goes back to the business case of talent retention. Why do you think that the financial services community in general has been so supportive? And you, you talk about Interbank quite regularly, which is an association which was formed, I think, just in Hong Kong, uh, of leading financial institutions, both global and regional, who provide support to LGBT networks within their member organizations. Am I, am I interpreting that correctly? Yeah, that's correct. So the LGBT Interbank Forum here in Hong Kong has been around for quite some time, but it was officially founded uh, three years ago. Now, to come to your point, why is the financial services industry on the forefront of LGBT inclusion? If you look at the business case for LGBT inclusion, I mean, the bottom line is that if you build inclusive environments where everyone can be themselves, it has a positive impact on the bottom line. So it's profit. And if you look at the different aspects of the business case, a lot of it is employee attraction retention and the financial services industry is very much dependent on talent. That's the most important asset that a company can have. So we talk a lot about productivity of employees that are out versus in the closet. And there's a lot of research that was done in that aspect and that research says that the productivity increases somewhere between 20 and 30% for someone that's openly out at the office. We have 2,800 employees in the APEC region, approximately. You know, assuming that 5 to 10% of that belong to the LGBT community, that's somewhere between 140 and 280 people. Now, if you have these 140, 280 people working with an additional 20 to 30% of productivity, that's, so to say, free headcount. It might be a vague statement, but it works with, you know, a lot of senior managers that need to get convinced about this particular issue. On the other hand, it's about now let's assume we don't have an environment where people feel comfortable and we have these 140 to 280 people leaving the firm immediately. So why are financial services on the forefront of this? They're very pragmatic firms. They understand the business case. They want to make sure to hire the best talent and to build and leverage the talent in solving problems that are getting increasingly complex. Looking at the future, what do you think is needed to keep fostering and increasing awareness for the LGBTQ community and their concerns in the workplace? Many firms have come a long way to build environments that are welcoming diversity in general. Now, what I want to stress and what I've seen within the Interbank is that there are many incidences where this conversation and a dialogue about LGBT inclusion stops, maybe because senior management is changing, because of turnover in the LGBT working group network, and that stops the dialogue. And this is bad. It's bad in the sense that 
driving inclusion within your four walls or maybe even the broader financial services industries requires an ongoing educational approach, an ongoing dialogue, an ongoing sharing of experience. So it's not a one-off, it's an ongoing process. And that's what we see fails in some of our uh, you know, peer firms because of change within the firm. So it needs to be institutionalized to be able to outlast the efforts of any one individual or even a small group of individuals who may, as in your own case, start an initiative. That's correct. And I think institutionalized here in the sense of building a framework, building a pipeline of future network leaders, so to say, um, making sure that once you are progressing within your own career, you know, other people can take over. I mean, it's a great learning experience for anyone. And do you think, is this the same for society as a whole? We live in an environment where the LGBT community is not necessarily fully understood or always welcomed. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. And looking at a society overall, you have different groups that have different stances when it comes to inclusion of LGBT individuals in society. We have a far way to go when it comes to this. But the good news is that all the younger folks, all the millennials, that are studying that will enter the workforce or that have already entered the workforce, they come with a mindset that's very different to you know some of the more mature parts of the population. In other words, that the conversation that we're having today might not be as relevant in 10 or 20 years because these people have taken over the leadership roles and that will change society as well. Talking about 10 or 20 years in the future, what would a fully inclusive society look like to you? To talk about a fully inclusive society, I think we have to take a step back and consider what does inclusion mean in a social, economic, but also political context. We've covered the social part, right? But political and uh, economic is something that we're still lagging behind. If you ask me that question, what's a perfect society look like is if I walk down the street and I see a interracial couple, for example, I can still find myself thinking you know, what's going on here? How did that happen? You know, all these unconscious biases that every one of us has. Having these second thoughts by just seeing people on the street just shows you that we are far, very far away from that. Now, a perfect society means that we don't have these second thoughts, that we maybe got rid of these unconscious biases. And where things uh, like having, you know, a same-sex partner is mainstream. It's common. It's been seen on the street all the time, so you don't have these second thoughts. People don't judge you. So, Robert, you often have the opportunity to speak to groups around the region about inclusion and diversity, and in particular with a focus on the LGBTQ community. How do you engage those groups and get across the message that there is a real business value in this? The most important thing here is that I do with pretty much any bigger audience that I talk to is to show them how LGBT is relevant to themselves. A lot of people don't know that it's actually relevant to themselves. So what I do is I ask three questions right at the beginning. The first question is I ask, I ask everyone to get up who is part of the LGBT community. In many cases, it's only me standing up because everyone else is a little bit too shy. The second question that I ask is for people to stand up, whether they have friends that are part of the LGBT community or part of the family belong to their community. And usually you get quite a, a decent proportion of the audience getting up, usually somewhere between 20-30%, in some instances 50%. And the last question that I ask is, again, friends, family, but also 
colleagues or peers in other firms. And that usually gets the entire audience scan up. And if someone is still sitting, I usually point at them and ask them for a coffee after the presentation. Robert, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you very much for having me here today. And thank you for listening to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast. To make sure you don't miss more future shaping ideas and conversations, please subscribe to our channel on the podcast app. And if you're listening via LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube, why not share this with your connections? Until next time.